Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Why not us? Um, Good evening, church. My name is, is Graham, and as Cole said, I look after the children and the families here at City Reach. And I love working with kids. I have done so for a long time. I love what they say about God and how they look at the world. Uh, and I remember one service when I was, uh, <clears throat> I was teaching the older kids in church, and the plan was to bring them back into the, the main service uh, towards the end of the service. I was lining them up getting them ready to come back into the main service. And I said to them, guys, you've got to be quiet. You've got to be quiet. Do you know why you need to be quiet? And this one little girl in the front of the queue put up her hand and said, "Uh, because some people will be asleep. Uh, That's genuinely what she said. So my hope tonight is that no one is asleep uh, because we're about to hear God's word, right? So that's a a very privileged thing that we come under tonight. Um, I remember as, as a kid myself, I went to a friend's house once and they had a, a telescope. And I was looking through the telescope and I'm looking up and I'm seeing stars and planets for the first time. And I was fascinated. I was hooked, right? I think all little boys go through a phase of dinosaurs and stars and planets. And I was in the stars and planets phase. Anyone's allowed to say amen to that. But I was in the stars and planets phase. And then a friend of mine showed me this. I don't remember the first time seeing this. Does anyone know what that is? That's your neighborhood. That's the Milky Way, the Milky Way, right? That's where we live. And, and I was looking at this and thinking to myself, that is amazing. I wonder where we are. I wonder where Earth is in this, uh, the, the Milky Way, our neighborhood. And I was expecting a big, bright, shiny planet, maybe the big thing in the middle, that was us. And instead, this is us. That's it. That is it. And I got this absolute sinking feeling that, wow, we are really insignificant and small, right? We're literally a dot in the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is a dot in the universe. That's literally what we are. We're a tiny little dot. I mean, if you took Photoshop and you Photoshopped Earth out of the Milky Way, you wouldn't even notice. It wouldn't even make a difference. But that little dot is the only planet which has life. It is the only planet on which we can look out and we can marvel at the grandeur of the universe. We can gaze out at all the stars and all the planets, but we come back time and time again to this little planet, this little dot called Earth. And we are more amazed, we are more fascinated by it at its uniqueness, at its amazing, amazing ability for life. Because God has a special purpose for this tiny little dot. It is our home. So as we look at the series, Why Not Us?, We're asking the question, why wouldn't God use us? Why wouldn't God use me, this little insignificant dot? 
And sometimes I think we actually, rather than ask the question, why not us? I think for some of us, the question is, please God, not us, right? Please God, not us, right? We think of ourselves as earth in the Milky Way. We're just a tiny little dot. We're insignificant. We don't really matter. We don't want to cause a big fuss. Or we make excuses. We're kind of like, well, you know, you don't really know my work situation. My work situation is really tough. I mean, if you knew my colleagues, you knew my boss, it's tough. And my family, my family is really complicated. Like, I don't think God could ever use me there. Or I'm in a really busy season of my life. And if God had to use me now, I, I don't know how convenient that would be. And actually, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really comfortable. I don't, I don't really think God wants to use me now. But when we realize the life of the creator himself is in us, his life is in us, and his grace so captivates our hearts, we realize we are not an insignificant, tiny little dot. We are, in fact, instruments in the hands of the creator himself. And he is able to use us way beyond we could ever dream or imagine. So in the story we look at tonight, we meet our hero. And our hero is a no-named little Hebrew girl. She is small and insignificant in the world's eyes. But she overcomes her insignificance, she takes a risk, and she speaks out, and because of that, she changes lives. She changes history. So how and why did she do it, right? We need to understand a little bit of her story, a little bit of her circumstance, right? So this little no-named Hebrew girl worked for Naaman's wife. Now, Naaman, he is the commander of the Syrian army. This is a big shot. He is the big chief. And he works for the king of Syria, the most powerful army, one of the most powerful nations in the world at that time was Syria. But the Syrians are bad guys. They are ruthless. They are cruel. They conquer everything around them. And they are not best friends with Israel. And this man, Naaman, he's a great man, right? He's had, he, he works for the king, his boss. His boss loves him. He holds him in high esteem. Naaman has won great victories for Syria. He's actually forgotten that God has given him those victories, but he doesn't know that, right? He just looks at himself. Naaman has everything. Seemingly, he has everything, but one thing is not right. This one little thing is not right, and it changes everything. Let's read. Have a look with me. If you've got your Bibles, let's look at verse 1. It says this, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given him given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. 
All right, that didn't seem to shock you as much. Let's try that again. But he was a leper. Oh, right, that's much better. Right, I think the reason it doesn't shock us is because we're, we're not familiar with leprosy. Today's world, leprosy is, is mostly curable. You can still find it in a lot of the poorer regions of the world today. Maybe in the poorer regions of China and India, there still exists leprosy. But leprosy is this disease in which it begins with little lesions on your skin and it kills all the nerve endings. And soon your flesh begins to die and rot while it's on your body to the point where it starts falling off. You start losing your fingers, you start losing limbs, you go blind and deformed. And if that's not bad enough, you become an outcast. Because it's contagious, people stay away from you. They don't want anything to do with you. In fact, they send you away. They send you to leper colonies. One morning in January in 2008, uh, there was a guy by the name of Terry Hallmark, 40 years old. And he woke up not feeling well. He had a little bit of a headache and a runny nose. He's been coughing and his chest feels tight. And over the next day, really, he starts complaining to his wife. And his wife says, well, I think it's a case of man flu. But let's take you to, to the, the hospital and have it checked out. So they go to the emergency room, and they wait a couple of hours, and eventually they get seen by a doctor. Doctor looks at him, and he goes, listen, all you have is a, is a serious case of flu. Go home, drink lots of water, and get lots of rest, and you'll be fine. Two days later, Terry Hallmark was dead. He died clutching his chest because he had a heart attack and died. He was missed, diagnosed. See, we need to realize that people may appear to have everything. Everything might be going well with them, but they have a disease. It's a spiritual disease. The Bible calls it sin, and we all have it. But here's the thing. Sometimes we diagnose sin as flu. It's just it's a little bit uncomfortable for you. It might affect a few other people around you, but it's not that serious. Guys, it's the wrong diagnosis. It's the wrong diagnosis. It's a disease, and it is very, very deadly and costly to us. And it needs to be correctly diagnosed. You see, however repulsive it might be for you, for a leper to walk up to you. Imagine that, right? You're literally seeing someone whose flesh is falling off their body, coming towards you. And that feeling you get like, oh, that, that's, that's pretty repulsive. It is nothing compared to how sin is before a holy God. Sin in the sight of a holy God is far, far worse. You see, leprosy, undealt with, I mean, it leads to your body literally falling apart. Becomes unable to function, you become an outcast, and eventually, physically, you die. But sin undealt with, leads to destruction. It destroys relationships. 
It ruins lives. It destroys God's good creation. And it leads to spiritual death, which ultimately means separation from a holy God for eternity. See, Naaman, he would have been rejected by people because he was You know, the commander of the army, he wouldn't have been sent away to a leper colony, but he certainly would have been isolated and despised. But there's a little Hebrew girl. There's a little Hebrew girl, a dot. Hardly noticeable, hardly important, but she knows the one true God. You see, this little girl, she's been kidnapped by the Syrians, right? The Syrians are not people that her heart naturally warms to. Imagine you've been kidnapped. You don't really know what's happened to your parents or the rest of your family. You've been dragged off to a foreign land and you've been forced into to working for the wife of the commander of the army. Right, it's the same army that's raided your country, destroyed your people. It's the same army that's forcing you to work as a slave. And you find out that that army commander has leprosy. How do you feel towards him? Guys, if I'm honest, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you deserve it, right? After all you did to me, you deserve it. But not this little girl. Not this little girl. What makes her so different? Why is she so different? You see, because her heart is captured by the God of Israel. Her heart is captured by His grace towards her, His grace towards her people. And now that same grace flows out of her and extends to a Syrian commander. She is practically loving her enemies. Right? She's not letting her insignificant, the fact that she's a dot, hold her back. Because the truth is, she's not even really thinking about herself. She's thinking about her God. And he is significant. Let's look at what she does. Read with me, verse 3. It says this. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with a prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. She approaches her mistress. Okay? Talk about boldness. This isn't the same as walking over to a classmate. Hi. It's not the same as going over to your colleague for a chat. This is the husband. This is her husband is the commander of the army of Syria. You know the feeling you get when you've got a horrible boss and you walk up to his door and you know you're going to ask something that probably upset him and that horrible feeling you get? Multiply that by 10,000, and that's likely what she might have felt. She is approaching, a slave girl is approaching the wife of the commander of the army, one of the most ruthless and cruel armies that has ever been. Could have cost her her life, but this is what she says. Right? She goes, would that my Lord. Right? She calls him Lord. She calls him boss. Boss. 
right? There's a sign of respect there. She doesn't say, you know, not that jerk husband of yours who raided my country and killed my people. No, no, this little girl is filled with compassion and respect. Her heart's desire for the Syrian commander is that he would be with the prophet Elisha. Because if she could just get him there, if I could just get him to Elisha, she knows he would be healed. He would be healed. Like what faith this little girl has. What faith this little girl has. I know. I know. All I need to do is just get you to the prophet Elijah and you will be healed. She goes, I've seen your condition and it grieves me. It grieves me. My enemy is suffering, but it grieves me, and I want you to be healed. Just got to get you to the prophet. What a beautiful little girl. Do you notice she doesn't do this for any selfish reason? She doesn't do it to try and earn favor with Naaman's wife, maybe get her freedom, maybe go back to Israel. She doesn't do it to impress Elisha. Hey, Elisha, look, I just sent you the commander of the Syrian army back to you. No, no, no. This little girl, she just does it. Her heart's motivation is she just wants him to be healed. She just wants him to be restored. What a beautiful little girl, right? She's not afraid of her insignificance. She's not afraid of the power and the reputation of Naaman. She sees straight through all that. She looks at him and she has compassion. She has compassion. Says, I just want to see you healed. Just want to see you healed. You see, this little girl is filled with faith. She's filled with hope and she's filled with love in her God. And because of that, she's prepared to take a risk. She's prepared to step out in faith. I want you to notice how that's it. She's not mentioned in the story again. This little girl just fades out of the light. That's it does. But because of her courage, incredible things happen. Incredible things happen. Right? God loves to take insignificant little dots and do something amazing through them. When we realize that it's His life in us, His life in us, you are not insignificant anymore. See, Naaman is about to learn something here. He's about to learn that salvation comes from a very unlikely place. This is what it says in verse 4. It says, So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. The king of Syria hears what a little girl from Israel had to say. She would have never, ever, ever stood the chance of having an audience with the king of Syria. But her message gets through. Her message gets through to him. God makes a way to be heard. And this king will hear, hope is in Israel. The cure is in Israel. Salvation is in Israel. See, Naaman thought he had crushed Israel. 
He thought of Israel as insignificant and they had no power to him. He had crushed it. He wanted nothing to do with him. But Naaman is about to find out the very place that he thought was insignificant, that he had destroyed, is the very place in which he finds healing. It is the very place in which he finds healing. Guys, many of the people we know, our family and our friends and our colleagues, people we play sport with, they want nothing to do with Jesus. They see him as insignificant, right? They mock him. They ignore him. But they will find that he is the very place in which they will find their healing. When they realize that they have a spiritual disease, that salvation only comes in one place. And that they will find their healing in Jesus. You see, Naaman, he's desperate, right? At this point, he is desperate. He realizes he is sick. But he's still a proud man. He's still a proud man, right? He still thinks in the way of the world. So this guy, he decides to go. But he takes with him a whole bunch of money. And he thinks he can buy his healing. He thinks, I have power, I have money, I have influence, I am the commander of the Syrian army. But he's about to be humbled. He's about to be humbled. You see, because eventually he arrives at Elisha's house. This little girl, her dream of getting him to the prophet, it's come true. And he arrives, but he arrives with his horses and his chariots and his soldiers and his servants. And then this happens. And I have to be honest with you, like when I read this, I I get the giggles. I think this is probably one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Elisha doesn't even bother coming out. He just sends his servant, right? Send his messenger outside. So can you imagine, it's right, the servant comes out and he goes, uh, hi Naaman, yeah, uh, I just, just chatting with Elisha and he said, you know, just go dip seven times in the Jordan. Okay, bye. And Naaman's like, what? Whoa, hang on, I'm, I'm Naaman, guys. Did you, did you miss that? All my chariots, all the splendor. Whoa, whoa, hang on. And Naaman is absolutely livid. This guy is mad. He is in a rage. His ego has been insulted. But this is what he says, verse 11. He says, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me. I mean, I'm I'm Naaman, the king of the Syrian army. And stand and call upon the name of, his, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. This guy has so much pride in him, so much self-righteousness. And it almost, it almost costs him his healing. It almost costs him his restoration. You see, guys, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive because it destroys our pride. It says you cannot buy. You cannot bring your gold and your silver to buy. There is no place for pride. Your power and your influence are nothing before God. He's no respecter of persons. You see, pride is a barrier to the gospel. 
and everything could have ended right here. Naaman could have traveled all this way from Syria to Israel, and he's so angry, he's about to turn back and go all the way back to Syria because he's been offended. His pride has, has got to him. And then enter the next no-named group of people in the story. His servants. His servants. Not even his soldiers, just lowly servants. Turn to him and they speak up. And they say, Naaman, like, don't be silly. Don't be silly. Swallow your pride. Like, you've just heard, you've just heard the very thing that you came all this way for. He's just told you how to get it. And just because it's not on your terms, don't let it stop you. You see, guys, many people want God, but they want God on their terms. And the truth is, what they really want is a genie, right? They want a genie more than they really want God, right? They want to live their life exactly how they want to live their life. They want to do exactly what they want to do. They want to define good and evil for themselves. But when they're in trouble, they want to click their fingers, and they want God to come and wave his hand over them and fix their lives and make them well, and that's all they want. Naaman thinks this, right? He says, I thought the guy would come out and wave his hand over me. I want God on my terms. Just wave your hand and fix it. You know what the Bible calls this? It calls it idolatry. When we make God how we want him to be rather than he really is. We want God to be like this rather than he really is. And God says, no, Naaman, no, Naaman, you need, you need humility. Go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. Now, I don't know what your uh, picture of the Jordan River is, your idyllic kind of picture, where maybe you've seen pictures of this beautiful river. It's not, right? Sorry to burst your bubble. The Jordan is quite a very average-looking river. In fact, it's rather dirty. So this guy's like, this isn't even an impressive river. I've got more impressive rivers back in Syria, and I've got to go and dip in this dirty river. Right? Imagine it didn't work. Imagine Naaman went down and he, there's the, he would have been the laughing stock of Syria. The commander bobbing up and down seven times in the river comes out. Everyone would have been laughing at him. And maybe that's what he was thinking to himself. But Naaman eventually dies to himself. God uses a no-named little Hebrew girl and God uses his servants, but Naaman finally humbles himself. He realizes, I've got nothing to bring. My power, my influence mean nothing. He's got a disease and he needs God and he obeys. And the story of Naaman finishes with these three words. He was clean. He was clean. What grace. What grace. What absolute undeserved favor. This guy is the commander of the Syrian army. He's not even an Israelite. He is known for his cruelty. 
What grace. And he's made clean. He is healed. He is no longer an outcast. In fact, he's even better off than he was before. It says his, his skin was like that of a child. Could you imagine Naaman looking down at your flesh, which was dying and falling off and black and diseased, and suddenly you see yourself? A new creation. Totally clean again. Guys, the gospel doesn't change. Peter, he stands up after Pentecost. And he's preaching to thousands of people. And he tells them that sin is a disease. And the people are convicted of sin. And this is what it says. It comes from Acts chapter 2. It says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You are cut to the heart when you know it is true. When you realize that that is guilty. I'm guilty. That is true of me. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? We're guilty. We're sinners before you. What shall we do? And Peter says this to them. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's the gospel, and it doesn't change. The gospel requires humility. And when you ask to repent, you're actually being asked to say, I agree, I'm guilty. And you confess all those things that you've done that you know are wrong. You confess those things that you know that you should have done and you didn't do. It requires absolute humility. And then he says, be baptized. Obey on my terms. Trust me, obey. It requires obedience. And then he says this. He says, then there is forgiveness of sins. Your sins are washed away. You are made clean. You will be given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will make you a new creation. You will be free. Absolute freedom. Guys, I think some of us think we're dots, insignificant dots. Or at least we act like that when it comes to our faith. And the Lord wants you to know that He can do amazing things through little dots. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, had to remind them of this. It said this, it said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. You were dots. That's what you were. You were a bunch of dots. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God loves to do something with small, insignificant people for the glory of His name and for His kingdom. So this week, 
as we go out. Pray for opportunities. Pray for those conversations that they might go deeper than just surface level. Because everyone, everyone has an area of their lives they know in which they are sick. They are spiritually sick. Show compassion. Ask questions. You know, I, I can't wait to meet that little Hebrew girl one day. I'd love to ask her her name. She deserves to have a name and be known. But you know, that little Hebrew girl, the best that she could do, the best that she could do was point them to the prophet Elisha. That's all she could do. That was her only connection to God. That's all she could do. For us, we get to point people to the prophet, the priest, the king of kings, the son of God, the savior of the world, Jesus. How much more? How much more? She had faith in a little prophet. How much more do we have? <clears throat> there might be some of us here tonight who are like Naaman, where you seem to have it all, but you know that there's an area of your life in which you are sick that you are spiritually sick. You know that if all your thoughts and all your actions were to be exposed, you would know that you're sick. But pride stops you from coming. Pride stops you from coming. You think you can do it on your own. And he wants you to know that he can make you clean. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wash away your sins, make you clean, make you a new creation. He wants to welcome you into his family to restore you. Guys, if that's you, if that's someone here tonight, don't leave without talking to someone. You know, we all have stories. Every single one who calls himself a child of God has a story where they realized, I'm broken. My life is literally falling apart and I need a savior. All of us have that story. All of us have had to die to our pride and say, nothing, nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. All of us are like that. I'd love to pray with you. Could we stand? Father, we begin by saying thank you. Thank you that you have washed us, you have cleaned us, you have made us a new creation, and you have made us your child. Lord, all we can do is say thank you for that. Lord, I pray, remind us again from what we've been saved from. We've been saved by the power of your blood. Father, I pray for us this week that we would go out with boldness knowing that you are in us, that you love to use insignificant people for the glory of your name. I pray for opportunities that we would have to speak to those who don't know you, to tell them of a great Savior, 
a great king. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who knows that they need you, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to respond. I pray that you would speak to them now and that they would call on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let us worship together.